The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Sif Heider, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business, or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hello, you guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Dream Bigger podcast. So today's episode, I am continuing on the 2024 Glow Up series. So if you've missed part one and two, essentially, there's a lot to talk about as the new year rolls around. And so I really wanted to structure episodes so that they were direct value adds based on very specific topics. So the first one that I did was more so about things that we can do today to get ahead on our goals. And then obviously I had some time to answer your questions. Then part two was about how I set goals, you know, like very tangible tips around all of that, how to not get overwhelmed by goals, all very actionable. And today I am focusing on all things business. So I get a lot of questions from you guys and have a lot of conversations over DMs about all things business. And, you know, as we go into the new year, maybe you're thinking of a new business idea. Maybe your business is entering a new stage, whatever it is. I have a ton of your questions here and I'm going to answer hopefully all of them because there's they're really good ones. And I think that they kind of go across the gamut. So I think that it's like there's a lot of value add here. So with that being said, we're just going to jump right in and we are going to first touch on balancing a job with a new business. So I was obviously in this position. I think I can very confidently say that most startup founders are probably in this position at some point in their lives. And honestly, like I wish that there was some sort of a magic formula And I hate to say this and be, you know, the bearer of truth here, but it is a real hustle when you are juggling both. And it's kind of a test in your passion for what it is you're embarking on. So when I started Array, I was working like I was I was a full time creator at that point. And before that, when I was, you know, getting into blogging and social media and all of that, I had a full-time job at a company. And I can also say like from Nisha's side, while we were starting Array, he was working a very demanding full-time corporate job. So, you know, I can reference both of us in this scenario. And I've kind of gone through it in two different stages because, you know, I left my like corporate job to continue my career as a creator and then transitioned away from being a creator in order to give Array everything that I had. And, you know, when you're going through this, honestly speaking, I was working nights. I was working weekends. Like, obviously, I'd still have cutoff times, but I I can give you like a look into what mine and Nisha's both of our days looked like. You know, we would Typically for me, I'm a very, like I'm a morning person. So I would wake up at 5.30, or 5.30 every day to do my own like work on Array prior to my day starting. And same with Nish, right? Obviously, as I was a creator, like my 
my workload would fluctuate day over day. But essentially, like it was all about doing my work, like my my new business before my work day started. And same with Nish. So he would know he would wake up at a couple of hours before his work day started and you know, start working on array things and same thing. Like when our day would end, it wouldn't really end because we would then go from five or 6 p.m. until sometimes like midnight working on like the business. And same thing, like weekends didn't really exist. And, you know, I just think that it's an exercise in discipline and you have to really love what you do and be very passionate about it and believe in it in order to put yourself through this, quite frankly. However, some tangible tips on how you can manage because obviously doing this for life is not really sustainable. So I would recommend having a cutoff date where you go all into your business. Okay. So obviously the the goal is that you kind of have like a minimum viable product before you go all into the business. Or, you know, of course, if you have like savings and all of that, and you have like a little bit of cushion room, then maybe you don't have to retain your job in order to like work on your business, but that may not be the case for everyone. So I'm speaking right now to people who still need to be working a job in order to either fund their new business or while they kind of figure out if it's a viable proposition for a full-time job. So I would set a goal, either a date in mind or a revenue goal for the business before you leave your job to focus on it full-time because you can't have a successful business and work on something different at the same time. Like that's not possible. Like you can't forever work your corporate job and expect your business to blow up. It's just not going to happen. So for us, our goal was a million dollars in revenue before we kind of like left our jobs to work on Array full time. And so that happened basically like towards the end of our first year. And Nish quit his job in like November of 2020 to kind of go all into the business. And I kind of did the same because I stopped taking on any any deals or like really taking away from basically like I didn't want to take away from any focus around Array. So essentially you can't expect your business to blow up when you are doing something else forevermore. Like you have to have that cutoff date because there's going to be a point like you're going to get to this crossroads where you realize that by you taking your focus away from your new business, you're actually impeding its growth. And so that is the point where you're like, okay, I have to make a tough decision and I have to kind of leave the comfort that I know in order to go into something that's riskier because now I believe that it's just past its nascent stage and that it has the potential to become something. So I hope that that kind of answers your question in summary it's a hustle at the beginning, but you have to give yourself a cutoff date in order for your own sanity. So figure out what that revenue goal is, figure out what that date is, and then you go all into the business. Given how many experts I speak to on this podcast, I'm always implementing things that I learn into my own life and something that was highly recommended by actually Taylor Rose, who is a trichologist, was a silk pillowcase, which is actually something that I was already doing. But the science behind it is pretty incredible. It helps with everything from, you know, ensuring that your hair 
stays healthy, that there's no breakages. Silk is just a really good natural fabric. It has like a ton of benefits. And so I have been really loving the Blissey silk pillowcases. I got the white one. It's on my bed and I have one for Nish as well. We both sleep on those pillowcases because it's great for your hair. It's really good for your skin. I actually love it so much that I gifted it to one of my team members for our Secret Santa. Funny thing, she was saying before she knew I was Secret Santa, we were talking about the things that we want for Christmas. And she was saying that she is really on the market for a good silk pillowcase. And obviously, I had to give her this one because I love it so much. So in terms of the benefits, they're plentiful. But everything from if you struggle to find the cool side of the pillow when you're sleeping, I know I'm one of those people, the Lacey Silk pillowcases are fabulous for temperature regulating and have naturally insulating properties so that if you sweat and overheat while you sleep, you know, it helps with all of that. On top of that, it's great for your hair, as I mentioned, because it reduces frizz, tangles and prevents hair breakage. It keeps the moisture in your hair and keeps your skincare products and natural moisture on your skin because silk does not absorb the moisture off your face. You can say goodbye to wrinkles, dry, flaky and red skin in the morning and wake up with healthier hair. This is something that's really important to me because I personally am always thinking about hair care and skin care, and I just want to make sure that what I'm doing is preserved overnight. Also, since the Blissey pillowcases are made of 100% mulberry silk, it's naturally hypoallergenic, so you can sleep more comfortably without itching or rashes, and they're great for those with allergies. Also, unlike other silk pillowcases, these are of the highest quality silk and are machine washable, durable, and even have a zipper to hold your pillow in place. That is very important because... I'm just not someone who can get around to hand washing anything. So it absolutely has to go into the machine for it to be usable for me. Blissey silk pillowcases are the best silk pillowcases on the market. They have a ton of different prints and colors and they make great gifts because there's an option for literally anyone. Men love them too. Like I mentioned, Nish sleeps on one. They have over 1.5 million raving fans and you could be next. Try now risk-free for 60 nights at blissy.com slash dreambigger and get an additional 30% off. That's B-L-I-S-S-Y dot com slash dreambigger and use code dreambigger to get an additional 30% off. Give yourself the gift of a good night's sleep with Blissy. Do you want to start a company but have no idea where to begin? Or do you have dreams of becoming an influencer? Well, the Life with Mariana podcast is here to help. I'm Mariana Hewitt, a Los Angeles-based influencer and co-founder of the clean skincare line, Summer Fridays. Each Tuesday, I'm talking to my friends from business owners, wellness experts, and more to share all of their best advice for you to live your best life. Make sure to tune in and subscribe to my podcast and follow me on Instagram at Mariana underscore Hewitt to see what's coming up each week so you don't miss an episode. Okay. Next question is, do you ever feel like you have everything that you want to get done done? Absolutely not. This is this is an impossible task, you know, and I don't think that this is even just exclusive to someone who owns a business. I think that whether you are higher up in your career, working at a company, whether you're a mom, I mean, there's a lot of scenarios where people are extremely busy and have a lot of demands within their lives. And I think 
you kind of have to set your own goals for what you can get done and create your own a micro to-do list for the day. And when you own your own business, I think it's very tempting to keep working from the minute that you open your eyes to the minute your eyes are shutting for the day. Like it is very tempting to do that. And I remember doing that at the early stages of Array, you know, where I would wake up at six in the morning and I was working on Array and, you know, until midnight or two or 3 a.m., I was working on Array. You know what I mean? And I think it's just not sustainable because burnout is a very real thing. And also you if you're not sleeping enough, you're just you're not going to be functioning at your optimal. So by creating micro to do lists or specific goals for the day, I think that that is important and be very realistic about the goals that you have. So daily goals, more weekly goals. And, you know, sometimes I have obviously things on my to do list that just kind of go over onto the next day. But you have to be good at taking inventory of where you're at mentally towards the end of the day. You know, like, do you have the capacity to give more or do you need to peel back? I personally have certain like boundaries that I've developed with my work because, again, I want to make sure that what I'm doing is sustainable, that I have a fresh brain when I'm you know, working. Obviously, there's periods of time where it's incredibly busy and, you know, I have to be a little bit looser with my boundaries. But, you know, for the most part, I just kind of make peace with the fact that I probably won't get everything done, but I can get, you know, 80 or 90 percent of the way and that's okay. All right. So I guess I guess going off of this, this is a good question. How do you know when to prioritize your business or yourself? So as I said, my goal is to build a sustainable brand. And I think the the biggest example that I've seen is my dad. And I'm lucky to have that example. He, you know, he grew a very successful business and he's over 30 years in and it's, you know, it's he's very successful, but he never sacrificed on his mental health. You know, I grew up with an example of a dad who would always make time for his workouts and always sit down for dinner with us as a family. And so I like as the business has kind of started to mature, because obviously like year one, you don't know these things and nor nor do you really have the capacity to kind of make time for anything except your business. But obviously, as the business has matured a little bit, I have boundaries. So I like to bookend my day. So I start my workday on most days around eight ish in the morning. And typically the bookend of my day is either when I get home from the gym or after I finish dinner, I will not be looking at work anymore. And the reason I do this is because the two hours between when I finish dinner and when I go to bed is my time to really wind down. And I find that I don't sleep well if the last thing I've done is been on my laptop kind of working through a problem. And I'm not saying that days like this don't exist, but I try to make them very rare and save them for days where things are actually very, very wrong. So if I don't sleep enough, I'm not functioning properly the next day. And I feel like that kind of does the business a disservice. So for me personally, knowing who I am as a human being, I just I'm not wired that way. Like I need two hours (laughs) before bed and an hour and a half or two hours in the morning to myself in order to function as the best version of myself. And also, no matter what, I take Saturdays off of work. I 
will not be on my laptop kind of dealing with work things on Saturday because I feel like after the after the the like everything you go through during the week, I need breathing space. Like I need breathing room for Saturday to kind of do my own thing and disassociate from the business in order to come back with fresh ideas and just as the best version of myself. Sundays are a little bit more flexible, I would say, like on certain Sundays, if I need to like get through certain things that I feel like will help me feel like I'm on top of things or ahead for the week, then yes, I will touch it. That's typically like, you know, when we have uh, like a really busy period, which, you know, happens more often than not, I'll put in a few hours of work on a Sunday as well, like maybe half the day, like a few hours, whatever it is, depending on what's needed. And some days I won't need to do that. So it completely depends on where or like at what stage the business is at and like what the business needs from me. But typically I need to have certain boundaries like what I listed in order to continuously show up day over day, year over year. So I hope that's helpful. When I graduated from college, I was on the hunt for something slash anything that would help me with UTIs because I was very prone to them. And I was just constantly on medication for UTIs while I was in college. When I graduated, I looked into probiotics and that's kind of what I started taking. But obviously back then, my information sources were quite limited. I wasn't in wellness in the same way that I am today. And obviously right now, my mission is to constantly find the best supplements that I can take for whatever my issue is. And so I am absolutely blown away by Just Thrive Probiotics. I discovered them back in May and I was really impressed by the research that they had on the strains that they were using so much so that I had Tina, who's the co-founder of the brand on my podcast to talk about you know, the myths around probiotics, what we should be looking for, what we shouldn't be looking for. And I'm just really impressed with the quality of product that Just Thrive is. So I personally use it every single day because for me, number one, it helps me with UTIs, but also because so much of how we feel every single day is determined by our gut and probiotics are incredibly helpful when it comes to the integrity of our gut. So highly, highly recommend probiotics in general. So here's what's crazy. I'm going to give you guys some stats. 80 to 90% of Americans suffer from some gut issue, gas, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, indigestion, heartburn, acid reflux. According to research, 99.9% of the probiotics on the market die in your naturally harsh stomach acid before they even get to where they are needed. Even the refrigerated ones. How can a probiotic survive our 98 degree bodies if it can't even withstand room temperature? And here's what's crazier. 78 to 80% of our immune system lives in our gut. So it really is the core of our overall health. The Just Thrive probiotic strains have been third-party clinically tested and proven to arrive 100% alive in your gut. And they're the only brand with the patented strain HU36 trademark, which produces antioxidants in the gut. Proven in clinical trials to start to address leaky gut in just 30 days. Just Thrive Probiotics have more clinical research than any other products on the market with a thousand times better survivability versus yogurt and other leading probiotics. Most die on the trip to the gut. It has so many different benefits like helping your immune system, boosts energy, improves sleep, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So 
If you're ready to take control of your constipation, bloat, and stress and live your healthiest life yet, you can get 20% off your first 90-day bottle of Just Thrive Probiotic today. Visit JustThriveHealth.com and use promo code DREAMBIGGER. While you're there, you can also check out their other clinically backed products. Take control today with Just Thrive. Okay, moving on. Process of getting funding slash investors. Okay, so I think that the most important thing is to start having conversations in advance of needing money. And the best way to do this is to go through your network and see if people can connect you to investors who would be a relevant fit for your company. And obviously, as a business starts to grow, that interest starts to be inbound versus outbound. So you will get interest from a lot of investors who are interested in chatting with you about your business and potentially putting money into the business, even if you aren't raising money actively or it's not even your in your periphery. I think it's important to take those calls because I like I think that when you take money from an investor and you bring them into your cap table, depending on the size of check they put in, they're kind of in this journey with you for a long, long time. And so you need to make sure that you like them, number one. Number two, that they understand your vision, that they can be a real value add, that they have added value to other companies. So you need to be vetting them like they're vetting you. You know, if anyone who's gone through a fundraising process will know how kind of grueling the due diligence is. And, you know, founders are out there like answering hundreds of questions and getting on call after call after call. But I think what's less talked about is how important it is for you to kind of have those processes with your potential investors. You need to make sure that you like them, that you get along, that you're on the same page, that you're aligned, because if there's a misalignment between you and your investor, I don't know, it just sometimes makes things uncomfortable or unpleasant. And for me personally, as I grow this business, again, it's about sustainability. I'm not in it to, you know, leave in like a couple of years. Like I'm in it for the long run. And I want to make sure that I'm enjoying my journey as a founder every step of the way. And the best way to do that is make sure that, you know, everyone surrounding the company are people who you like and you trust. So I would say that starting off relationships early, just making sure you're chatting with people and you're giving them updates here and there, like hearing what they're up to. I think that allows you to cultivate a relationship well in advance if you actually needing money. And also, yes, there's instances where you're raising and, you know, it's an expedited process. But if you give yourself a little bit more time to get to know someone, I just think it's a little bit more beneficial. So tap into your network and see who can introduce you to who. I, I just find that that's much better than cold emailing. Next thing is a little bit more practical, but have your data room prepped because you will need that. Like you will need a data room. And if you're unfamiliar, a data room is kind of where you have everything from your numbers to a pitch deck to marketing materials, like all of the different things that an investor may need in order to evaluate whether you are a good fit or not. So having that prepared in advance of going into a fundraising process, I think just makes things a lot quicker. And I say this because these are things I wish I had known when, you know, we were in the earlier stages of a business. Right now, it's just like, obviously, like all my friends are founders. And so this is just kind of stuff like, 
we obviously know, but for anyone who's newer, you may not know. And this is just stuff I wish I'd known. The other thing is, and this may seem obvious, but I don't think it is, is to practice your pitch. So earlier on when we were raising money for the first time, we had, you know, we were, we were speaking to investors and we were pitching Array. And there was this one fund that we really liked. And we had our first couple of calls with one person on the team and we really liked him. And, you know, we then went into a meeting with the much larger team and we came out of that meeting and we knew that they were going to say no. And it broke our hearts. And the reason that I think to this day that we didn't end up partnering with them was because Nish and I had a weak pitch. Okay. It wasn't that our business wasn't doing well. The business was actually doing very well, but our pitch was absolute shit. And I hear stories upon stories of founders who are doing so incredibly well, but investors don't want to put money in because the founders aren't able to present themselves in a way that is convincing. Because at the end of the day, when an investor is putting money into the business, they have to believe in the founders. And so as a founder, it is your job to make sure that you're coming across in a way that like have people have confidence in you, if that makes sense. So practicing your pitch, really refining how you are presenting your business kind of gives people confidence. And also then you go into like a pitching scenario and you're just a lot more confident. Like right now I can close my eyes. I can probably do not probably like Nish and I can do our investor pitch in our sleep. It's, it's so, it's so ingrained. But when this whole thing happened, we were like, okay, we are shit. Honestly speaking, you have to look into the mirror and kind of realize what it is that you're bad at. And our goal was just to get better at that thing. And so we practiced our pitch over and over and over and over and over again, just between the two of us in order to get it to the point where we felt confident that we could go into a room with investors and feel like they had full confidence in us. A good example of this is, or like, I guess a good resource for this is to look at founders who have done this extremely well. So this may not be an example that you perhaps like, but Adam Newman from WeWork is probably one of the most brilliant salespeople to date because of his ability to pitch a dream to investors. And yes, WeWork just filed for bankruptcy, but you have to kind of go back and see what he was able to accomplish and how he was able to storytell. And so like looking for examples of people who have been able to pitch really well and storytell really well is super, super important. And I would also recommend reading books such as Made to Stick, Contagious, and yeah, start with those two and probably how to build a story brand. These three books will kind of teach you how to speak to people in a way that makes sense and how to build a story brand kind of will give you the blueprint on how to message a brand out to people that'll have them resonate and not have this like long-winded story about the brand that, you know, people don't really get. So these are all excellent resources, which I hope you find helpful as well.
If you follow me on Instagram or you've listened to this podcast before, you have probably heard me talk about Stellar Eats. They do these incredible baking mixes that I absolutely cannot get enough of because they're grain-free, made with eight or less real ingredients like almonds, coconuts, and dates. And they make mixes like carrot cake, banana bread, and coffee cakes that are also gluten-free, paleo-friendly, and naturally sweetened with coconut and date sugars. I personally am blown away by how good these mixes are. I have to rave about it because I just made it over the weekend recently. I made the carrot cake one and holy moly, this thing was so good. It was so moist, just delicious. You couldn't even tell that it was made with less ingredients and super healthy. Like it tasted just like a regular carrot cake, but so much better for you. The taste and texture are absolutely spot on and you'd think it's traditional or conventional treats. So what I love about it is that it was started by three women who were frustrated with diet culture and how healthy eating is made all about how you look and not about how you feel or how good the food tastes. So they're on a mission to change the way wellness brands speak to consumers with their brand. It's just not only is their product absolutely phenomenal, but the story really resonates with me because it's kind of the same philosophy that we have with Array. So I just, I really feel it. I think that when it comes to nourishing your body, you absolutely should not have to compromise on the taste. I personally am a foodie through and through. And so I'm never going to compromise on the taste of something just because it's healthy. And so it's really nice that Stellar Eats has brought convenience to baking while having it be healthy and delicious. So they have an offer for you. You're going to visit StellarEats.com and use code DREAMBIGGER at checkout for 20% off your first purchase. That's S-T-E-L-L-A-R-E-A-T-S.com and use code DREAMBIGGER for 20% off your first order. Stellar Eats is also available at Whole Foods stores nationwide. Enjoy. All right. So how often should a business post on social media? So I think multiple times a day on TikTok, if possible. So TikTok right now is promoting TikTok shop. And you want to make sure that you are creating engaging content and kind of putting your product out as much as you possibly can. I also think that social platforms are a way for your consumer to connect with you and it's a way for you to kind of tell your story. And so the more behind the scenes that you can show, the more consumers are able to kind of see who's behind the brand and what the brand is about. Because I think, you know, for historically, like when you looked at big, big corporate companies, it was just these like big companies and you didn't know what the soul of the company was because, you know, it was just too big. I think the beauty of a startup is that consumers want to feel connected to who they're buying from, whether that's the founders or the core team or even just like really know what's going on. And so social media, I think, is a real, you know, it's, it's a tool in that sense. On top of that, I think stories like Instagram stories should be a way for your audience to connect with you. So trying to make them interactive by doing things like the question function or polls, I think is really helpful. We actually like Lindsay from Set Active has been so helpful when it comes to social strategy for us because she's someone that I've personally leaned on. But 
a really smart idea that she had told us was when you ask questions or do polls on like specific things, just pick out random people who answer and just send them product. It just makes them feel a lot more connected to the brand. And I feel like that is a really nice way for people to, number one, of course, feel very connected to the brand as they should. Number two, show how grateful you are for your audience and to have them a part of your community. And number three, like think of how special you would feel if a brand picked you from a crowd of people just for answering one of their questions like at random and then you get sent a little goodie bag. Like that's that's so exciting. So I think that that's really important. That's like an interesting strategy, which has worked for us. I think, again, like as I said, showing behind the scenes is really important. And for stories, I would probably do it multiple times a day. Not probably I would do it multiple times a day. We usually have, I don't know, like we don't really count the frames, but I would say like about eight to 10 frames up at any given day or on any given day. And on the feed itself, I would aim for four to five times a week with it skewing more towards reels just because video content is king right now. So I I hope that that kind of gives you the blueprint that you need. Of course, you know, as a founder, and especially if your company is brand new, I'm guessing that you are probably, you know, uh, doing all functions all on your own. And this may not be possible. However, I will say that early on in Array, social had always been a priority for us. And it was me initially doing all the Instagram. And then I brought someone in to help me kind of do the TikTok component as well, because we thought that that was really important and like just a smart modality for us to connect with with our audience. And that was a really good, it it was a very smart business decision because I think today, again, I, I keep saying this, but community and storytelling is super, super important as it pertains to an audience's purchasing decisions. So I would say that investing in it and like making sure you're if you can't do it at this volume, just like doing as much as you can. And like, you know, if you're a founder and you're doing it all yourself, just take people through your day. It doesn't have to be this like curated whole thing. Social media is thankfully changing where it doesn't have to be that curated. So I think the more you can show, the better it is. Okay, moving on. How to simply just start a business? Well, great question. So I think it's really important to have a minimum viable product. So making sure that whatever it is that you're selling is something that people resonate with. And so I would recommend producing a small quantity of whatever it is that you are wanting to put out into the world. If the packaging isn't perfect, that is okay, unless you're obviously doing like a really like brand heavy item. I would just have grace for yourself in the early stages because it's not going to be perfect and there's always going to be mistakes. I've talked about this in the past, but you know, we had been, we'd poured our literally everything we had into our branding. And then when the first batch of packaging came to us, it did not look like what it was meant to look like. The printer had just not used the right material. It was like a whole thing. And we didn't know what to do. And we almost wanted to send it all back and get it redone. But that would have taken us months. And instead, we just went to market with the packaging that we had, obviously the product in terms of, you know, the blow capsules were absolutely perfect because it's an ingestible and it had to be perfect. But the packaging wasn't at the mark that we wanted it to be. But that's okay. We we kind of like we always iterated based on feedback. And I think that 
done is better than perfect. And perfection is really the enemy of like going out there, you know, because you can keep waiting for perfection until the end of time and you may never get there. So it like before you start a business. So you just have to continue to iterate. So I would say just get it out there. Speaking like I guess like going off of this as well, an example that I'll give you is our website. It was absolute trash. It was a Shopify theme that we used and it looked horrific. But as soon as we started to see that the brand was gaining traction and that there was this was actually a product that people liked, that's when we started to refine and again, iterate. We hired someone to help us with our website. And that's when we kind of created a really beautiful website. And even since then, we've kind of continued to iterate on our website and make sure it's better and better. Also, trying to build a community is super important right from the get go, you know, making sure that you are building in public. So again, utilizing social media to the best of your ability. So trying to utilize social media to the best of your ability is super, super important because again, it just allows people to connect with you and then have surprise and delight moments. So we have a saying in the company, which doesn't belong to us. I believe we got it. I forget from which book, but one business book. And the concept is do things that don't scale. So what I mean by that is when you're a young company, you're able to do things and touch your consumers in a way that isn't necessarily possible when the company is a little bit more mature. So an example of this is when the company was like in year one, and I'm talking like month four or five, right? We Nish and I would hand deliver product on Nish's motorcycle to customers who lived close by. And we could do this because, you know, number one, like sometimes like the volume of orders that we had was just not that high. We wanted to save money on shipping. And lastly, we wanted the ability to actually go and meet our consumers and see who they were, what they liked, what was resonating with them, what wasn't resonating with them. And I can confidently say that doing things like that was one of the best decisions we made for the company. Because even to this date, I know who our first customers are. I know them. Like I bump into them at restaurants. I like they know who I am and I know who they are. And I think we've retained a lot of customers for life because we used to do things like that. And even still to this date, like we while we can't deliver product on a motorcycle anymore, if we can, like if we live in the vicinity of one of our consumers and, you know, we can just like drop the product off to them, we do that. Or surprise and delight moments like can we put a present into our customer's package or can we send a nice note? Something else that we used to do was literally print one Polaroid at a time. So any early customers for Array will know that we did this and we would hand write a note. So it again, like the business came to a point where that wasn't a viable option anymore, but we did it for literally as long as we could. And that was one of the beauties of, you know, being able to do things when you're younger. So again, like try to do crazy things while you can do them at a specific stage of a company. Okay, so moving on, connecting with audience and creating community within the business. So I've kind of mentioned a few of these tactics already within like the the greater conversation. But I will add to this and say that you have to ask yourself how influencers are treated and treat your community and your customer the same way. So 
Something that we wanted to do like from day one is I remember when I would get PR packages as a creator and sometimes Nish would be the one who would open them and he would be so excited. You know, he would he would be like, oh, my God, like, look how beautiful the packaging is. And sometimes if there was a handwritten note, it was like such a nice moment. And the more personalized the package, the better I felt about it and the better Nish would feel about it as a consumer who is like, you know, getting a BTS look at PR packages. And so that was the vibe that we wanted to bring to our customers as well. So, you know, in the early, like I'm talking like month one of the business, I would be sitting there writing long handwritten notes to every single customer. And we would be packing our products in this like beautiful custom tissue paper. And we wanted this package to arrive to customers and have them feel like they were getting a PR package. Like that was the goal. And so doing things and making sure your customer journey is very similar to what an influencer would get will kind of make sure that your customers feel like a very welcome and important part of your community and also try to speak to your customers as much as possible. So, you know, for the first two years of the business, I personally was in our DMs and speaking to customers as much as I possibly could, you know, like all customer service calls would come to Nisha's phone. And so that's kind of how you connect with customers and have them feel like you really care as you should, because you are really nothing without your consumer. Like it doesn't matter if influencers love you. It doesn't matter which celebrity talked about your brand. If your consumers, if you don't show your customers that you really care about them, then I don't think your business is going to go very far. Okay, moving on. How to pick a branding when you are indecisive. I would recommend reading the book, Building a Story Brand, because I think it will help you streamline your processes and kind of really nail down your messaging because I get it. Like if you're creative, you can be indecisive, but it's really important to be streamlined and very focused when it comes to your messaging and overall branding when you're building a business. Okay. As a new founder, what aspects of the business should most time be spent on? Okay. So when you're starting out, brand awareness and customer service are the two most important things, in my opinion. So you want to, number one, obviously, make sure your customers feel like they're a part of the brand. Again, this goes back to treating your customers like influencers. And so your customer service experience should be absolutely phenomenal. Try to gift customers product as much as you possibly can. Like really, really like I mean it. Think about everything that you would do for an A-list celebrity. Like say Selena Gomez creeps into your DMs for your brand. Like what would you do? You would freak the fuck out is what you would do. Okay. And you would make sure you send the most special package to her and you write her the kindest DM. And you remember when her birthday is so you can send her flowers. Try to do things like that. So in the early days, like if I knew a customer's birthday or like they would DM being like, hi, like I really need product in time for my birthday. I'm leaving for this trip. No problem. I'd not only make sure that product gets out to them, I'd make sure I'd send them flowers because it was this big special moment for them. So think about things like that. And we still operate like this. Obviously, I my, myself and Nish aren't in our DMs and our emails, but we made sure that we hired the best customer service team who would really make sure that our customers feel taken care of. And even right now in times of crisis, like just earlier this year, we had this whole shipping nightmare that happened. And 
both Nish and I were doing customer service tickets because it helped us connect with our customers and also like show them that we really cared and we felt horribly about what was happening and that we were doing our best. So customer service, super, super important. Next, how you get your brand out to people is, of course, when you treat your customers like influencers, you want to make sure that you're creating something that's really shareable for them. So that was our Polaroid. And that kind of created a viral effect because people would share this Polaroid that Nish and I would send to them within their package and they'd take pictures of their fridge or, you know, we've had people send Polaroids back to our address of them. It's like, like the cutest thing. Like it's one of my favorite, favorite things that we've ever done for the business. So Virality is created that way. So figure out how you can create a moment that's really shareable and exciting for your customer. Number two is obviously gifting the product as much as you possibly can because you want to get it into as many people's hands as possible. So, you know, we or we as in me, I had this whole Excel sheet on my computer where I would make a note of every single person that I wanted to gift to and kind of track things that way. And, you know, for us, not only did I gift to just your regular like, you know, influencers with X million followers or whatever, it was also like very micro people, whether it was nutritionists or doctors or just people who I thought could be influencers in their own right. So I feel like getting it out to people as much as possible is super, super important. Okay. So I think that that kind of covers everything that I have time for today, but I hope you guys found this helpful. And I'm trying to figure out what part four of the 2024 glow up series is going to be, but it's going to be something good. And I hope you guys are liking these solos. Please let me know what your feedback is. I love hearing from you and I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif Hyder. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people, learn and unlearn, and have a lot of fun. See you next week. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.